Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Page One podcast, which is also our first episode of this new eighth season. Uh, I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. Uh, I'm Tarek. As many seasons as Game of Thrones. Indeed. And hopefully not that. with the sort of diminishing returns <laughs> as well. So we've, only got, we've only got improvements each season. Exactly, exactly. Um, if this is your first episode of the Page One Podcast, thanks for joining us. Um, at the Page One Podcast, we'd like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing process, how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And uh, as I say, this is episode 77, so there is a big back catalogue of all sorts of great authors, journalists, screenwriters, comic writers, video game writers. So do take a moment to go and check that out because there are sure to be some names that you're interested in there. Um, have you been up to anything while we've been off off air, Tarek? Um, what have I been up to? Um, watched a lot of TV, mm-hmm. played some video games. Getting ready for your own book publication, of course. Your own book publication, of course, yes. Done a lot of, a lot of redrafting. It's been... Um, fun to start with and then uh, last for quite a while. It really so many times I had to go. It's, I think people are right when they say you're kind of ready when you're sick to death of your own book. Um, <laughs> definitely sick to death of so it's ready. I think it's ready to go now. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that's uh, Welcome to Cooper, which you can now pre order, I believe, through yes. Amazon. Anyone who likes a good crime novel or yep. doesn't like a crime novel but likes reading books or doesn't like reading books, just wants to give me some money, <laughs> just go to Amazon and pre order it. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, no, I have read it and it is great. If you're a fan of sort of Mayor of East Town, uh, then uh, or true detective, then definitely check that out. I will take those comparisons, Marco. Thank you very much. And uh, I, meanwhile, have just been watching football and enjoying that. So sorry to our English listeners, but uh, <laughs> being a fan of Italy, I quite enjoyed the the whole yes, tournament. Marco's, Marco's had a very is he had, he's had ups and downs, but ultimately, yes. ultimately, it was a, ultimately, it, it was a month of horrible stress as. That's what football is, and me questioning why I why I like football. But then at the very end of it, it was good. The thought of having to edit podcasts on top of that one, yeah, just too much. No, exactly, exactly. But anyway, enough from us. Um, uh, this is a writing podcast, and that's why you're here. Uh, and we've got a great guest to kick off this season. We do indeed. We are chatting with Caroline Hulse, who um, is she has her website is actually very good and has a number of facts about her, which I'm going to read out a selection of just now. Excellent to get a flavor great. of who she is. She lives in Manchester, in England. She worked in human resources for 17 years, wrote books at night, never thought writing could be a real job, but then was offered a book deal back in 2017. So fairly new to the to the writing scene. She actually started off as a suspense writer and uh, she pitched her books as suspense thrillers and was told by her editor and her agent that actually they're more of a comedy. Yeah. You've completely, you've not nailed the suspense at all, but you have nailed the comedy <laughs> exactly. part. Yeah. That was, that was what she, she went down that, that route instead. Yeah, we chat to her about that. And and yeah, sort of starting out in one genre and then and then ending up in another. Um, okay. and, and also about the work in HR and how that's actually helped her. You know, you can imagine that working in HR, you'll see a lot of characters and a lot of yeah. uh, conflict as well, which yeah. obviously is, yeah. is always great for stories. Um, uh, yeah, we chat to her about all of that, and we chat to her about her new book, All the Fun of the Fair, which is uh, just out. So uh, you can hear about that, and then hopefully order it or go and pick it up from your local bookshop afterwards. Yep, absolutely, it's a really fun read. But we'll get straight into the podcast now after a quick advert for our writer's notebook. Um, 
which I should say is it currently undergoing its second printing. So we don't have stock right now, but you can, if you go to our website, have a look at the pretty pictures and also uh, put your name down uh, for uh, a discount when the second print run comes in. New and improved. New and improved, indeed. There are improvements. Some nice tweaks there for uh, taking everything on board and the uh, obviously sold out print run, first run. Yeah. Pleased with that, but second one's even, even better. Definitely. So uh, we'll get straight into it and we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest as well. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, a screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember... Every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Yes, I did. But then you get a bit uh, distracted along the way, don't you? So I think I also wanted to be an awful lot of other things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I didn't actually become a professional full-time writer till I was 41. So uh, yeah, it took me a little while. Uh, yeah, because you you worked for a long time, I think, in HR as well. But were you writing throughout that period as well? I was, but I generally stopped and started a lot. So I'd get really into a book. I'd love it. I'd work really hard. I'd finish it. I'd get all the agent rejections. Then I'd decide I wasn't ever writing again. And then I wouldn't write again for the year or two. So yeah. uh, like to say I was writing consistently during that time, you know, wouldn't be completely accurate. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did write it. several books. <laughs> Seven books, was it? Yeah, several. So I think oh, five. Several, so. It well, it's still a lot of books to write. Because yeah. I think I'd read in an interview that you gave someone that um, finding the time to to write when working, you kind of almost had to carve out the, the time. And so you'd write on a Sunday and a Monday night, but by Tuesday you were too tired from work. So was, yeah. that, quite, was that quite a big thing, getting in that kind of routine of when to write around the day job? 
definitely. I think it's so easy as a writer to not write. Um, I don't know if you find that. Um, there's always a reason not to. You're always too tired or actually haven't got enough time. And I think I didn't realise how effective it was actually when I started doing it. It was just my routine. I just found that by Tuesday I wasn't very good. But actually in retrospect, looking back, writing every Monday and um, Monday night and Sunday was just a really good way of keeping up that... Um, keeping up the continuity of the book without just you know burning out at the same time and and during that period am I right in saying you were writing suspense novels at that time yeah I mean I started writing crime and then yeah they I think I thought all my novels were some version of crime or suspense um but that is not the feedback I got when I uh, actually got an agent and an editor. So um, I was, you know, writing what I thought was crime. Um, <laughs> and, and my first novel that came out actually was, when I first wrote the first draft, it was meant to be psychological suspense, but it, it was published as humour. So I think that shows that maybe <laughs> I didn't have a great grasp of genre. <laughs> <laughs> and so on that, on that search for the agent, I mean, how, you know, did you go through that sort of hellish part where, you have loads and loads of rejections or how, how long did it take you to find the agent? Yeah. So all my books got rejected. Um, I had a tiny bit of success in my first book in that it was long listed for um, a kind of search for a bestseller competition. It didn't go any further than that. I didn't get an agent, but that told me that it told me it couldn't be absolutely terrible because it had been picked up for that. So that gave me a tiny bit of confidence, but no, I really only got form agent rejection letters and stuff for the first few books. And then um the book before the one that got published there was an agent interested in that one um and she didn't actually take it on in the end so that was again through the slush pile talent pool um but she didn't take it on but she put me in touch with an editor by then who was interested and then she put me in touch with another agent so it was it was through the slush the slush Mm -hmm. pile but it was um yeah it wasn't absolutely direct what is it that when you're when you're getting those rejections and you've written you know five novels that haven't gone anywhere how do you still find that that will to keep going forward with it I mean I didn't that's what I so for a time I just I'd um I'd stop and I'd lick my wounds and it would mm-hmm. only be I'd be on holiday or things so I'd con- I was concentrating my career a bit more and I'd go I'm not doing that anymore um it's too painful um and then an idea would just come to me a little bit later and then I'd just kind of go oh maybe maybe this one mm-hmm. um because I always wrote, I wrote for myself, but it was definitely with the aim of getting getting published. Um, so I think, you know, I don't think I'd be one of those writers who would write books forever if there was no chance of anyone seeing them. I think I would do some form of writing, but I definitely wrote for publication. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it was just, I think I just had to let, let enough time go by, to be honest, to let the rejections kind of die down a little bit <laughs> and then get another idea and then start again. Um and in a way, I know it's it's quite a it's quite a depressing story in some ways, but it's also quite a positive one because whilst it did take me ages, I didn't know anyone in the industry. I didn't do any creative writing courses. I'd never met another author until I got my book deal. Um, I, you know, so it, it can it can happen. It just t- takes a while. Um, and I think when I spoke to friends and think people who've done creative writing courses, that kind of thing, I think there are shortcuts maybe to getting to where I've got to, where you do get introduced to agents and that kind of thing and I didn't go down any of those routes at all um, and you can still get published this way but as I say I finished my first book at 22 and first got published at 41 so it was um yeah quite a long journey yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when you look back and this may be a question you can't answer but when you look back at the books that got rejected and the one that then 
Bondi agent, etc. Do you know what it, what the difference was? Like, can you can can you see something in the writing, or is it just a case of honing your craft over time? I think it's partly honing craft, but I think it's partly. Um, I think, as I said, I think I wrote in a sort of mix of genres. I think the, the difficulty is if you're just a reader. I mean, I read a lot. The books that do well aren't necessarily books that are typically taken on by agents and editors. So they tend to be the outliers and that tends to be why they do really well. So if you're reading whatever piece of literary fiction or whatever has done really well that year, it's probably done really well because it's original. But what you don't see is the other thousands of books that were published that were quite strange that didn't do well. So I don't think I thought that much about genre. I just thought you just need to write a good book. Mm. Um, I wasn't savvy at all on what it was and what I was writing. And I think that's where maybe if I'd had more industry knowledge and things, I might have it might have helped. But also I did get better. But by the time my fifth book got published, by that stage, I had the agent um, who was able to help me craft it and, and said, you know, and she was right. She said, this is funny. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's probably not thrilling enough to be a psychological thriller. It, it's not. But you can bump up the humour. And I never, you know, I never really thought I was a funny writer. I didn't really. I just thought I did a few throwaway lines. But once you get that kind of permission and you get that angle and someone saying if you aim there it's much more marketable you know I just wanted to write whatever that was really as long as I found it interesting entertaining you know I I still plan to write thrillers one day and, and try and dial down the comedy as well so um yeah but that steer without that steer you're kind of flailing a little bit um yeah I, I suppose there's a balance isn't there because you, you like you said there you always want to write something that that you are genuinely interested in. You can, I think I think you can also feel the other way if you sort of too uh, single-mindedly go after a market or something, if it's not something that you absolutely believe in as well. Um, you, uh, you know, you, we, we can, we've probably read books that have actually been published that way, but you can kind of tell that it isn't something that the author themselves yeah. believed in, really. Uh, it doesn't feel quite genuine enough. So having that interest in your own writing i suppose is 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 always going to be key mm. yeah i think um i think if it doesn't entertain you it's a long time to spend doing something yeah particularly because even if you're under contract um you know theoretically i could deliver a book under contract to my publishers but they might say that's not what we wanted you know and and then you're you're always in danger of working for nothing, but then in some ways it doesn't feel like work because it's pleasurable. So um, if you're not enjoying what you're writing, I imagine it's pretty soul-destroying. Yeah. yeah. And so you'd, you've you found success at last mm. and then you're still working in the HR job at this point. So how long was it from first book to... Because I understand now you're a full-time writer, HR jobs in the bin. And how long <laughs> did that take there? It might come back. It might come back. <laughs> <laughs> so for about a year or two, once I got my agent, um, I think and the stage I was at in my HR career, I'd started taking more career breaks to write. So I'd taken three months off in one job. I had a really nice boss who let me just take three months unpaid. Um, and then that gave me a bit of confidence and I took some time off between jobs. So I've moved to a contract model where I was doing um, working on a day rate, a daily basis for an organisation. Um, so I just let that lapse at the point when um, at the point when I got the book deal, because, well, even at the point I got the book deal, I didn't really realise, I never really thought you could actually be a full-time writer. I knew some people were, but I thought that was really mm-hmm. unusual. So I didn't understand 
um, how things work with foreign rights and that kind of thing, and that I might actually earn enough to be able to sustain myself for a few years. Um, and, you know, at the point I realised that, I sort of thought, you know, it, it's now or never. And I'm I'm quite lucky in the sense that um, I don't have kids. Um, I'm a little bit older, so I'd already, um, you know, got a house, etc. So I think... I think I was in a good position to take the risk, though I still expect to be back in HR at some point. Uh, so I need to kind of make sure my skills stay. Well, I think I've let them lapse a little bit, but I'll have to do some uh, <laughs> kind of remedial stuff. But I still think it's, um, you know, it is a privilege to be able to do this job. And I don't know how long I'll be able to do it full time for. Um, because I think, you know, unless uh, unless you have got like an independent wealth or you're very mm. lucky and yeah. stuff, you know, it's it's. Um, you know, there are easier ways to make a living, I think. Or you land a <laughs> so Netflix think. deal or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something that's always made me laugh is that, you know, for for films um, and, and and books, you people, you, you put so much time into into one into one item that that you make so little back from in the end. And it's it's and how many other jobs would you spend a year crafting something which you maybe get in advance of? You know what's the, like a typical advance 10 grand or something from and it's just it just seems so bizarrely weighed against the the writer i i don't know why there's not more i mean i don't well i guess it must it's always a money problem but it does seem very unfair that the amount of time and effort you put into a piece of work it's not really fairly reflected in the remuneration if that makes sense yeah it's supply and demand though isn't it this yeah. is my hr hat yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> you've not lost your skills <laughs> Yeah, it's the, the economic model. It's it's not ideal for those of us, I think, in the middle of those trying to get started. But I still think you could pay everyone a pound. I hope there's no publishers listening to this. And I still think there'll be an awful people, a lot yeah. of people go, I want that job, let me have it. Um, yeah. And that and the fact that books, unfortunately, you know, we've got a, a situation where books aren't valued hugely in terms of, um, you know, so many of them being sold at, you know, 99p, et cetera now. Um, you know, publishers have got to... They've got their own business models, haven't they? It's, yeah. Yeah, but I think, I, I don't know. It, it would be nice, I think, to think. I certainly struggle with that. Coming from a, a job where I had a salary, where a certain amount goes into my salary at the end of every month, and you know there might be people who are a little better at your job than you or a little bit worse, so they might be paid a little bit more or a little bit less, but the difference, the disparities and the the way the model works yeah. is is incredibly difficult, different, and um, causes a lot of uncertainty. And I think... You know, there's a lot of talk in the industry at the moment about diversity and how to attract ranges of voices from different backgrounds and stuff. And, and I think things like this and the amount of uncertainty that comes with it, even if you're successful, is um, part of the reason it, it's quite hard for them to attract a range of diverse voices because you've got to be able to do it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think that is the, the difficulty that you have to be able you, the It's so difficult to afford to, afford to do it. And that's the problem. But at, at the same time, I think... You know, if you speak to agents, they're busier than they've ever been in terms of people yeah. sending them. I mean, sending them stuff. I, I guess a barrier to entry to be a writer is is probably the lowest of many other arts mm-hmm. or or most other jobs, I suppose. And that is literally, you know, pen a bit of paper or laptop, and you can, you know, anyone can be a writer. You know, in the same way, no one can be a painter, I suppose. But that's, you know, obviously, the skill has to be there. But it's you don't need to buy a lot of kit. You don't need to. You can do it in your spare time. It's so yeah. I suppose it is that yin yang of as you say, Michael, there's tons. I spend pandemic-wise, agents are just getting slammed at the moment with with people who've 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 written books and you've got Amazon folk putting books out themselves and stuff. So it's yeah, it's just a very crazy market, I guess. Which is 
not not great for people trying to make a lot of money from on the, on the writer's point of view. <laughs> yeah, we all still do it. Everyone still does it, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. It, exactly. <laughs> that drive to write is, I suppose, it's, it's what you were saying earlier. Though, even though you were, you know, you you write something, we wouldn't get anywhere with it. But you still had that drive inside you that you 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 had to write. You know, even if you didn't, weren't sure there was a future in it or not for you. Yeah, I think. Um... I think what you want, and you, of course you don't get this, is what you want is someone to go, you know that book, you know, don't worry, it won't be that one, but it'll be the one after or two yeah. ones. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I, I suffer this in the rest of life as well. I want to know exactly what the future holds. Um, and that's a terrible thing. You know, right? mm. It's terrible in this job. Um, but also, I suppose, if I'd known the one I was writing might not have got published, and if someone had said, you've got to keep doing it, but it's going to be 20 years, yeah. that would have quite depressing to hear as well you've got mm. to feel like it's closer than that i suppose yeah totally yeah, I think that's right and then, and then when when you gave up the hr job um i read that you know you had this dream of being able to work at home in your pajamas <laughs> but then suddenly quickly <laughs> realized that um it was the, you you missed that sort of office environment and that nine to five structure kind of thing it was awful. It was awful. I, I don't expect any sympathy, but I achieved my dreams and suddenly realised that this was not what I just wasn't what I expected. First month or two was amazing. First month or two was just brilliant. I was like, yeah, this is it. This is it. I love it. And I was like, oh, why am I a bit lonely? And why am I, why am I a little bit down? And um, yeah, things got a lot better again. I got a lot more equilibrium when I started hiring a desk in an office and I just had a reason to leave the house um, and a reason to speak to people uh, over the course of the day because it is quite an isolating job um and when it's not going well and things just getting out of your own head is is helpful and I think it is a job where you're in your own head a lot of the time yeah. and I I don't know if it is just that I always worked in an office before that um or if it is just that I'm maybe slightly more extroverted because I've got a lot of friends who would just just leave them in you know their office in the house and they're delighted and they just hope no one rings the door and that's, that they're happy with that but I it didn't work for me um and yeah, then the irony, of course, the pandemic started, yeah. and here I am, back in my spare room. <laughs> <laughs> and did you keep the routine, the kind of nine to five idea, Monday to Friday? Did you transfer that into your writing world? You know, do you start? Do you have days off? Do you do you treat it like a like a job type thing? I treat it like a job um, mm. because it's so easy to it's so as I say, it's so easy to not write, and it's so easy to get the fear. Um, mm. I think so much of what you're writing um, isn't very good. Um, at the early stages or so much what I'm writing I don't mean to speak for you so much of what you're writing isn't very good and you have to I always find it easier to write if I've written the day before so when I'm doing a first draft I write every day um, until that's finished and I try not to even have a single day off because you ha- I have to kind of outrun um, outrun the feeling that it's it's a bit rubbish and then once you've got something to work with it's just 20 times easier Um, so I tend to work every day to be honest but I tend to do short days so I am less tired than I was when I did a normal job Mm -hmm. because um, even though I work seven days a week I tend to knock off about two o'clock and then go and do other stuff so that's that's how it works for me Um, but I also I think you can battle with yourself I think so much about the writing stuff is a mental game and I think if you start giving yourself options of maybe I'll just have this morning off and and then you can realise two weeks have gone by, you're quite yeah. dissatisfied, you haven't achieved anything, and your book suddenly feels quite a scary thing to approach. So um, it works for me, but I know it doesn't feel very creative. I'm sure there's a more creative way of writing books than how I do it, which is spreadsheets but, and schedules and that kind of thing. What, what you say there about sort of outrunning the, the fear with that first is, is a very good, I think that's very good advice because 
certainly when I write, you know, it's very easy to doubt yeah. what you're writing in that initial draft. And you start, I can start obsessing on like tiny details and start trying to fix, make that tiny bit perfect. But actually, like you say, it can sometimes be much better just to push through and just think, right, okay, that needs fixed, but I'll, I'll fix it come the second draft or whatever. Um I mean, what is your what is your process? You said spreadsheets. Do you, do you plan your your books before you start writing them? Yeah, I plan in a lot of detail on spreadsheets, so I'm an extreme planner, which is why it's quite frustrating that still when I write them, then they all go out the window after that. But I kind of need to plan out to understand what a first draft looks like. Um, I yeah, I've always done that. Um, just to make sure I've got like a story arc, to make sure I know where all my characters have got a you know a journey that they go on, um, and just to make sure that you know pacing was something I always found quite challenging. So I just try and do that. And I think there's a couple of books in the past where I've approached it where I've I've not planned and I've thought right, I've planned to about sixty percent through, and then I think um, right there's some stuff goes on there, and then I plan the end from like you know ninety percent, mm-hmm. and I think I'll just work out what's happening between sixty and ninety percent and yeah, sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. You know, if you if you if you haven't mapped out, in my mind, it's just how I work. Yeah. Uh, if I haven't mapped out the whole book because I can't think what happens there, often I'm not going to work. It's often going to discover the whole book really that I'm. You know, oh yeah, I've still not worked it out, and I've written sixty thousand words, and I've, I've still not got any idea where it goes from here. So, yeah, so I I plot it all out. But say the book I've just written and um, first draft I've just finished, um, that one. Um, yeah, some of those subplots don't work. I think I've put a bit too much focus on some characters over others. There's some bits that I didn't expect to enjoy half as much as I have. That I think, oh, right, that that feels more like the heart of that mm-hmm. plot point. So, mm-hmm. And so it will change completely, despite the fact it was beautifully uh, plotted out and colour-coded and everything on my spreadsheets. So it's, it's quite, <laughs> it's a shame. <laughs> it's funny because we've, we've chatted to a few authors who... Who and we've always moved to ask the question about planning or pantsing and and they've and they've said that if they plan too much, then it almost takes away that um the, the kind of will to write, like they kind of get bored almost if they like they've already told the story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's but that's not something that you've ever experienced, you know, you've never had that feeling at all. No, I'm the other way. I think I like to know when I'm sitting down that I know what I'm writing next because yeah. Um, I do find every day you're sort of having to kid yourself that you, you're making stuff up, aren't you? Every day you sit at your PC and you're, you're cold, you're starting cold, whereas you finished the day before and you were quite um, probably quite enjoying it. And then you're starting cold and you're like, what am I doing again? Who am I? What's this about? And the fact that I've got something that's it's a scene here, it features these characters, this is where the emotional start and end point is, and these are the three things you've got to get in. I still, that sounds quite rigid, but actually within that, there's a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. I might move the location of a scene. I might, uh, you know, humour will come up as I'm writing it. I'm not expecting. But the fact I know I'm not going to get lost or I'm not mm-hmm. going to write myself into a, into a hole is um, is quite freeing. Um, so you, you really plan to that level then? You, you, you'll have like a chapter, you'll know, you know what's going to go into it, what, what, what emotion is going in, what the three things you need to hit, what information has to come up with it. And, and you do that each chapter for the whole plan before you even start start to write it? I, I have for this one and I have before um, because I write ensemble. So most of my mm. books um, have been ensemble books. So they've had multiple narrators. So seven narrators, eight narrators with overlapping story 
uh, arcs. So because of the nature of what I'm writing now, um, having so many narrators, um, it's just really, really important. Whereas the book that, um, that's coming out in a few weeks, that one um, only has one narrator. And then I think you can be much more fluid in seeing what happens when, um, when you haven't got to make it overlap because with an ensemble one, um, I think they work best if every scene is is not just a scene of that person narrating it, that it also does, I said, yeah. pull in bits of other people's story arcs. There's yeah. jokes, there's, there's irony from the fact you as a reader know that what's happening in that scene is the exact opposite of what that person you know had the scene before wanted to happen and all that kind of thing. And that's where a lot of the um, the good bits are for me. So that means a lot of plotting. Um, but as I say, I have, as in most of my friends don't work like that. Um, I think it's it's just a personal preference thing. Um, and it's still, as I say, it will still change completely depressingly. <laughs> and, and once you've got that, um first draft done you know are you, is the second draft quite a meticulous draft or are you someone that will go through a number of drafts before you're happy to even show it to your agent or editor yeah i'll probably do at least one more draft um well i'll definitely do at least one more draft but they might be more than that it's probably going to be two of this one um and again i plot out what needs to happen on my spreadsheet before i start diving right. in okay. so I, I kind of annotate the spreadsheet with extra cells etc um and then I'll get to my editor and then then there will be another huge, huge edit, which often takes longer than the initial draft. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky. Um, doesn't always feel lucky, but I'm lucky that my editor is extremely focused on the editorial side. He's, he's not someone who's just going to send it to the copy edit fairly soon. Um, and often that means huge changes. So I'm always really pleased at that point because it's really good to be able to work with someone else because um, that's the first point someone will read it um, yeah. that's not me. Um, and it's really nice to have someone else's perspective. Uh, but also I've learned that you can really improve things at that stage. So, yeah, this the last book I wrote, it took longer. The edits after it went to my uh, editor, it took longer than they did than it did to write the original book. Right. But, again, that's not the experience of a lot of friends. So it's, it's such, a, there's such a range of experiences. And how do you feel when you get those notes back from the editor? Is it like a, I think we've chatted a few folk again who've got, yeah, yeah, always have that kind of initial, that's that's nonsense, that's nonsense. <laughs> Doesn't understand what we could talk, crap, crap, you know, and then putting it down in a, in a drawer and then you go back to the next day and you think, well, okay, I'll change that. And by the end of it, you've changed all of them. Is that the kind of experience you have or is it more no. of a back and forth? No, I, because I think I'm... I'm able, I'm happy to take the feedback if I know it's from a position that he wants to make it better. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's it's our book. Um, it's going to get published or, you know, probably going to get published and he's going to help me make it as good as it can be. So I think I, because all the other edits have gone well, I think I trust that. And I've got that relationship with my editor that it's, you know, I think if he was saying it's not good enough um, mm-hmm. and this is why, that would feel completely different. Yeah. But generally it's, um, it's much more, you know, you could tighten this bit. Um, you know, that character art's not strong enough. There's much more payoff you could do here. Um, and I think the level of insight, as I say, brings after months of just being me in my own head, I'm just so pleased to talk to someone else about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, some of it doesn't make sense straight away. So we usually have, um, we have an editorial call about the notes after I've had a couple of days just to absorb them. And then usually we'll have some follow-up questions and things. Um, but... As I say, in every book so far, it's got so much better at that stage. So I really do trust the process. Yeah. 
and and your new book that is coming out in in uh, July is, is all the fun of the fair. Do you, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yes. So um, that's a bit different for me. So it's a coming of age story um, set in the summer of 1996 uh, about an 11 year old girl who um, lives in a small town in the north of England. Um, and the fair is the only good thing that happens in the town every year. So she's never been allowed to go because her older sister died at the fair um, before she was born. Uh, but this year she's determined she's going to be able to get to the fair. So that's her mission. Um, and it's all told through her eyes. Um, and there's basically quite a complex, there's the kind of surface level story of her trying to get to the fair. But there's also this kind of undercurrent story of you as the reader piecing together um, other things that have happened that she maybe isn't aware of um, in terms of uh, the death of her older sister and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, it was, um, it's another comedy um really fun to write but I've never written from just one narrator's perspective before so that was that was quite exciting and the fact it's quite limited that it's a story um told completely from a child's perspective but that a lot of what she sees she views differently to how we might view it um and a lot of the challenges and opportunities that came with that that was it was really good fun actually and a bit of a headache (laughs) yeah I was well I was going to ask about exactly that you know telling a story from the perspective of an 11 year old uh, you know how did you (laughs) How did you get in that head? How did you find that voice? Oh, in terms of finding the voice, I don't know. I think maybe I've got a bit of a case of arrested development. I, I don't. <laughs> I can still remember. It still. It feels. I don't know. Things from that age still feel more powerful. Things from childhood. I think there's quite a nostalgic aspect to this book. Um, and I said it in '96 because I don't think I could write from the perspective as a child now because um, I just think the world has changed so mm. completely. Um, but I don't know. I, I, the feelings of um, fear of missing out, the feeling of how important everything was, the idea that this fair comes to town once a year and it's just that glamorous kind of thing. And if you don't go this year, the next year is so, so far away. Um, all those things felt, I don't know, I think I can still remember them. Um, so the voice itself was it just came quite naturally and again I think it gets stronger through the edits I think the more you write a character uh, that's part of the reason why it's so good to get to the end of the first draft because you know so much more by the end than you do at the beginning yeah. mm-hmm. and then I think a lot of the the good stuff that comes in my books is definitely later on because the more you know the character the more you just the tight you tighten it up um and, and what was it that, you know you've written your your first few books and there, as you say there were kind of multiple uh, voices points of view and stuff what was it that made you want to dial down to one um, and and I suppose where did the idea come from? You know, what, what what was it that, that made you think I want to try something a little bit different this time? Um, I think I wanted to see if I could do it with the one character because so much of the humour in my previous books, as I say, is, is the chapter would end from one narrator's perspective, and um, it was that kind of the overlapping nature provided a lot of the humour um, yeah. and a lot of the tension. So I think there was an element of can I do something a bit more stripped down. Um, mm. I think I'd always wanted to tell a bit of a mystery and I thought telling a mystery through, it's another way of doing an unreliable narrator, isn't it? That that mystery of um, for whatever reason that you don't understand, she isn't clear what's happened um, and that just her putting a different interpretation on events than the adults in her life would put on events. That was, it was just a really different way of doing things. Um, so yeah, and also in my previous books, um, I've always had a child narrator in each book. 
and I tend to get quite good feedback um and that's you know I don't generally read my reviews to be honest but um my editor and various people told me that always my child narrators got really good feedback so that's quite it's quite nice so I was thinking could I sustain it for a whole book yeah nice and obviously your books are uh, uh, comedies uh, and one thing I was you know writing comedy anyway can be difficult but finding a book that actually makes you laugh as opposed to just sort of smile as you're reading it is quite a you know I, I love it when it happens because it's it's not a common thing to happen I mean is it just something that comes naturally or do you sort of hone the jokes through the edits or or how 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 does that or was it just the editor as you say saying actually what you're writing here is is humorous so that's what you should concentrate on yeah I think um I don't tend to write much slapstick type mm-hmm. stuff it's much more the humor comes from the characters I think and it comes from the characters generally not getting what they want and um being their own worst enemies and that is probably a theme with all my books um and that stuff comes quite naturally to me, but it still came as a bit of a shock, um, as I say, when I was first told yeah. that the humor side was probably one of the the standout elements of, of the books I was writing, because I don't know, I, like you say, books are really hard medium to make people laugh in, mm-hmm. and also it's so subjective, so I have no doubt that there will be as many people who think my books aren't funny as would think they are funny, <laughs> that's, that's just the nature of the beast, you just got to, you know, live with that if you write comedy. Um, and I think in terms of reviews and stuff, as I say, I don't actually look at them. But when I have like gone on just to have a little yeah. sneaky peek, they do tend to be quite polarised. You know, you like things or you don't. So um, it's it's you know, I have to make myself laugh um, and I have to be able to stand by it. And sometimes as part of editing process, my editor, editor will come up with some hilarious things. And I will think, yeah, that's got to go in as well. And sometimes he might come up with things. And I think that's not that's not quite my voice. So it's staying out. So I think at the end of the day. I've got to be able to make myself laugh, which is actually quite hard when you've worked on the manuscript. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. I, I think for me, writing a comedy piece or whatever is, is I find it the hardest thing to write. Like, I, I think, I don't know if it's just, if it's a thriller or a horror, whatever, you can do passages that, you know, it, something about the, vo- the, the voice or the tone of the whole book has to fit the, for the comedy to work. And I think I find that so hard to do. So I really, I'm always very impressed by folk who are able to do a funny book because I know how hard it is. And I feel it's kind of underrated almost because I think mm-hmm. people often think comedy is easy. You know, it's that kind of classic. It's not as hard. To, it's easier to make someone laugh than scared. And I don't think that's true. I think it's a lot easier to make someone scared or jump or tense or whatever. I think that's easier than making someone genuinely laugh at something. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I think that... Whatever your secret is, I think it's um, it's a very obviously. I think you always do have a kind of a neat gift for it, and that is that's that, that's, that's quite cool. And I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I say, I think it's really. I think you just have to accept, or just. Um, whereas, if you write a really really good thriller, probably most thriller lovers will write will like it. I think you have to just move away from the idea you can please yeah. everyone. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and have the confidence to say like this isn't not going to be for everyone, and that's as long as as you see, as long as I make myself laugh, I'll make someone else laugh, and that's. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, and I did. I was listening to an audio book back of um, when I uh, listened to a book that I'd um, submitted a couple of years ago, and I listened to it back, and I'd forgotten it. And there were some bits that made me laugh. And I was I was walking the dog, and I was laughing. And I, was, <laughs> I was a little bit embarrassed. I had my headphones on, so 
<laughs> that's fine. Our audience of one, and it's me, and I've made myself laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and did your uh, years in HR? I imagine you've come across some colourful, colourful characters in when yeah. working in HR. I mean, did that help? Does that help inform your characters in your books? Definitely. I, I think my books are mainly about conflict um, and people behaving badly under pressure. Um, and I think that definitely comes from HR because then, um, you know, I think you see people at their most vulnerable and you see them at their worst. Um, and, you know, HR don't generally go along when everything's going really well. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I just... I got a lot from that. And I think also just the defensiveness. As I say, in my books, I don't believe there's any bad guys in my books, though I know other people would, would disagree with that. But I just think people can behave really, really badly because they're feeling scared, vulnerable, um, attacked. And then people can dig in. Um, and there's an awful lot of that in my books. And that's definitely from HR. You just, you just see it. People making a bad situation worse mm-hmm. because they can't quite let it go or they've got, you know, their ego to protect or they're furious. And... Um, that you know that stuff all went straight into my books yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and i'd i read um an, an interview with you that you talked about imposter syndrome and um and that was something that you felt that you suffered from and i think probably a lot of writers would agree with that that's something that they also suffer from and um you know what i just wondered what your what your views on that are and any tips you might have for people out there who are suffering from it, how to get past it hmm. that's a nice question i think I think a lot of it comes from wanting something so much. So I think, you know, if you want a job in another industry, you generally can get in, start at the bottom and work your way up. Whereas mm. in this job, you you know, you get nothing. You get no feedback for a really long time. And you're just in your own head saying, am I, you know, am I there yet? Can I, am I good enough? And then the magic thing happens and someone says, yes, you are. This is good enough. We want to publish it. And then I think because you want something so much, it that, that comes with its own challenges um, and the feeling that you're going to be, exposed and people are going to be commenting on your books and all this stuff that's only been in your head for such a long time I mean I never really told anyone I wrote books at the early stages either I didn't tell friends or family and all of a sudden everyone's reading your books so I think it's quite a strange experience um in terms of the imposter syndrome I think on a day-to-day basis when you're writing just accept that what you're writing is going to feel like it's going to be rubbish and that doesn't mean that you know you're not good enough and it doesn't mean that you're not going to write a good book in the end but if you're comparing what you're writing that day to a really crafted piece of prose that someone else has written in a book that's been edited five times or your own book has been edited five times you know it's it's not going to compare and so much you know so much of this is just outrunning outrunning your own fear Mm. and it isn't that some people are born writers I think I had that for a little while that whole oh you know I stopped writing for a bit and I started again am I a proper writer am I, you know and then you read about other people who go I, I couldn't not write I couldn't not write for a day and I'll, oh I can't be a proper writer well you know proper writer is a it's a strange thing I've now been a professional writer for nearly five years and you know I, it, it's just the same you deal with the same challenges so it, just focusing on the work and trying not to um focus too much on your view of the work is is all you can do, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think I've definitely, you see these quotes from people, don't you? You have to write every day, Christmas day, take yourself away to room and write for 10 minutes, you know, and you think, if I, and then suddenly you've got this bar that's been set by someone and you're like, well, if I don't do that, does that mean I'm not a proper writer? I'm not, I'm not as good as them? And that's, that's just nonsense because as you, as you say, it's, 
it's 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 not about how much you write it's about what you want to do what how 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 you write and 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 what you want to do with writing and and that drive to write etc and so yeah so i think that's 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 a really good point i think and it's easy to get lost in that especially as a writer when you're kind of at, by yourself at a desk in your head all day long it, it's easy to get kind of caught up in it all and to lose sight of, of what really is important definitely and i think by the time um, when you get published, it's it's a strange industry in that, you know, obviously debuts are prized as a new voice. I'm imagining you've talked about this with other people quite a bit, but that whole, again, you don't just start on the ladder and build your way up, but you are a debut that suddenly you are an interesting new voice. There's interest from around the world that you don't expect often and things like that. You, you know, people are asking for interviews and publicity and, and it's literally from zero to... Um, you know, to beyond what you were ever expecting, yeah. or in my case. And that can be, you know, take a real while to get used to. And then, of course, it can also drop back a little bit as well, which is then another <laughs> challenge. Um, so the resilience side of being an author, I think, you know, uh, is, is not to be underestimated. But I would still always do this job. So, you know, I would never say uh, try and put anyone off. But uh, certainly it's been much more of a mental test, I think, than I ever would have expected. I mean, it's true, actually, that, that, you know, you get every you get all the advice. There's loads of books or guidance on the Internet about how do you find an agent? How do you get published? But once that happens, there's not a lot of advice, <laughs> you know, for for a debut author or published or, you know, there isn't a lot of advice out there as to what is going to happen at that stage. You, you sort of can think in your head, oh, right, I've made it. But then you suddenly don't know what's what's in front of you, which I guess lends itself to the syndrome, as, as we were discussing there a bit as well. Definitely. And I think, you know, you're learning, but you're learning based on what other people... I think projecting success is really important as well in this industry. I think I think people want to be seen to be successful because that makes you know, more than say my day more than an HR. You know, if you were having a bad day at work in HR, you <laughs> you weren't as. Whereas I think in this job, you know, people if they have a disappointment, they're dropped by publishers, etc. They don't put that on social media. Mm. Some people do, but you know. So what you just see is the really positive side, and mm. then you see everyone else coping really, really well with things. When actually, when you scratch the surface, a lot of what people are dealing with is the same. Um, yeah. And a lot of the advice that you're given in the rest of life, but don't judge your own insides by other people's outsides. I'd say that goes with that goes with you know being mm. an author, but like twenty times over. <laughs> if you think everyone else is always having a great writing day. It's not the case. If you think, you know, that, that author over there with 20 books written, you know, still loves sitting down at the desk every day and always has a productive day and, and knows where they're going. It, you know, it's not true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> so um, we've got all the fun of the fair coming out soon, but you were mentioning you've got the first, uh, is it the first draft of the next novel that you've you've yeah. just finished? And do you have, when you were signed was it a one book deal or or have you had to get a new deal every book or was it a multi-book deal um in the uk so i was signed with a two book deal um and then i got another two book deal right um, and hopefully um you know, i would hope that i'll continue writing for my publisher past that because they're, they're very you know it's very focused on the long term so, so we're already talking about book ideas for the next ones Brilliant. so that's that's quite nice to hear yeah and does that help going back, I suppose, to the sort of structure of it to know that, right, I've got to get this done by this date? Does that actually help you? Because I know with some other authors that we've spoken to, that isn't always helpful because they've had, you know, five years to write that debut and then suddenly they're under pressure to get another book out within a year or whatever. But does it? do you find that helpful? 
I like it. I like knowing who I'm writing for. I mean, the only the only challenge with it is if you're writing under contract, um, you can't. Well, you could just write a book and present it at the end of that time and go, "Here's my next book," but it might not be what the publishers are looking for. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they are really committed in terms of trying to help me build a brand. Um, so there's a lot of ideas that I'll go to with my editor, and he'll say, mm, uh, "That's maybe not as relatable." Um, you know, that might not be as much what we're looking for in a, in a helpful way, but yeah. there can be quite a lot of back and forth before we land on an idea. Um, and that's maybe it comes back to what I was talking about at the beginning that I don't think I have a clue what the market is looking for. I think I, you know, I really, I try, but I still don't. So it's sometimes quite helpful to have someone say, you know, the audience for that is like four people. <laughs> and, <that's laughs> and we might be two of them, but it's still like four people. I mean, you know, a couple of books ago, I wrote a, a literary book set at a poker table. Um, right, and it's, you know, no one's going to want to read that. Poker players aren't going to read that. Um, you know, <laughs> they don't read. Uh, we, you know, it's, it's it's quite helpful to have someone going, you know, no, that's that's probably not, you know, not it's not going to help you from a career perspective yeah. because I have got one eye on the commercial success. And, you know, I want to keep doing this job. I don't want to have to go back to HR because I've only sold copies to my friends um so I always think that input is really valuable but it can it can delay things so for some authors they'd hate that you know I know people who would much prefer to not have a contract write exactly what they want completely on their own without input without anyone kind of um sort of taking away the magic of Mm -hmm. of that private time um and again that's a completely different way of working as well yeah I think I I totally get that because I think for me it's definitely a balance in that you want you know writing is a wonderful thing, but if you want to if you want to make a career of it, you want to make write books that sell, and so you, as you say, you want to have one eye on the commercial market, and and it's not selling out to write something which you hope will be successful, and um, and on the flip side, you, you know you get people like um, Donna Tart who will, there'll be ten years or so between books, and there'll be there'll be you know, but but there'll be massive hits and and and. And she obviously writes something that she she wants to write, and there's not like a, I guess there's a there's always a commercial side, I suppose, but it's not like a you have to write as you say a second book next year, and has to be a thriller, and has to have these characters in this town, and 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 neither one is a bad thing, and I think there's often a lot of people who look down on one type of book or over, over the other. I think it's important not not to not to feel that you're you're you're, you're selling out or you're you're not writing like a proper author, etc. Yeah, and I think I see it like a Venn diagram. Like there's a there's a, yeah. a circle of books that I'd quite like to write, and there's a circle of books that you know my publishing house would like from me. And where can we get that bit in the middle that actually yeah. gives me what I want and gives them what they want? And and that's where we've been to this point. And I I imagine we can stay there, but then maybe it just takes a little bit more work than when you're just pleasing yourself, really. Um, and I think yeah, you're right. I think when you're done a tart, you can write exactly what you want, and it will be a massive success um, yeah. without needing to think about anything else. And yeah, yeah. And also, you've got the money from your previous massive hit to exactly. live off for ten years while you write your next magnum opus. You don't need to worry about paying the bills. <laughs> exactly. It's a funny thing when we talk about money in this industry because you know it really matters. It influences your choices and it influences so much because like, you know if you want to do it as your career. I know there's a lot of people who do it as a sideline who don't. They don't need the money because they've got other like routes of income. But, um, you know, I think it is reasonable to kind of want to be able to, you know, earn enough to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's, that's a reasonable enough. expectation. Yeah, you know, to eat. It's kind of <laughs> <Yeah. easy. laughs> 
was the last book that you read? It was. I wrote them down because I knew you asked this. Um, So it was Careless by Kirsty Capes, which I just finished last night, which is really good um, commercial fiction about um, a coming of age story, actually, um, by a good soul from a girl uh, in care who gets pregnant. Um, Really, really good. I highly recommend that book. Nice. And what about the last film that you watched? It was Promising Young Women. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. That was, that was a possibility. We're going to watch that maybe on Saturday night and we didn't in the end. But um, is it one you'd recommend watching? Yeah, I would. It was, it was unusual and really, yeah, interesting. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and the last TV show or the TV show that you're watching just now? It was Mayor of Easttown. Oh, All right. no spoilers. I haven't even started. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stephen King yeah. has actually spoiled it for me already by tweeting oh. out the whoever the murderer is or something. But I've, I'm trying desperately to forget that I saw that. But yeah. uh, thanks, Stephen. You're not coming on the podcast. Big, apart from it was, it was good. It was yeah, good. I yeah it. we finished watching that last night, and yeah, I thought it was excellent. Like it was a, one of these. It was a really. It was, it didn't bring anything massively new, but it was just done really well. And I thought she was amazing in it. And I thought the ending it, it wrapped everything up really yeah. nicely. I was really pleased with the last episode. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would echo that. Um, and the very, very last. Well, as the time, I was going to jump in first before that and say I read on your website as well um, that you, uh, well, you mentioned you play poker quite a lot, but you're also a fan of board games as well in your spare time. Is that yeah. right? And yeah. what, what's your what's your current favourite board game? Because both Tarek and I are big board game fans. So that's oh, fun. really? Yeah. Well, it's quite hard at the moment because um, obviously you can't play yeah, with anyone. Exactly. Um, so it's two player games at the moment, uh, generally. Um, so. <laughs> Two player games, generally playing a, a, a lot of Ticket to Ride and Power Grid um, are my probably favourite. And my favourite game that I recommend to everyone is called Camel Up. All right, I've, not heard I've never heard of Camel Up. No. It, it's a game about racing camels in the desert where you bet on camels. And it's not it's not actually about how, how the camels win. Um, you're not... You basically get rewarded based on how you're betting, as opposed to how the pe- other people are betting. So it's it's really good game. You can play it on like lots of different levels, and it gets really quite intense when I play it with certain friends. But oh, it's been, nice, it's excellent. Quite, quite a quick, <laughs> quick fire round type game. Uh, it's probably about half an hour, forty-five minutes. Yeah, nice. and I, okay, I, I'm good too. I play it with. Um, some people well, I used to play poker with and professional poker players, we play it very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> for a pound, um, I should say. Well, so, real uh, money as well. Okay, nice. Play for a pound. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. No, I'll definitely look into that one. <laughs> and uh, the very, very final thing we do is a uh, quick fire, either or. And um, as I always say, there's no right answer apart from one. But we'll start off with uh, Nick Hornby or David Nichols. Nick Hornby, I'd say. So nice. Uh, TV or cinema? TV. Uh, Night Owl or Early Bird? Early Bird. Neither, really. I've got a very small window. <laughs> <laughs> eight hours in the middle of the day. <laughs> uh, a fancy restaurant or a takeaway? A fancy restaurant. And last one, real book or ebook? Ebook, 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 all the way. Absolutely correct answer. <laughs> fantastic. What what a fantastic answer. Why why ebook? What just a, why don't you name me some of the amazing qualities of an ebook? <sighs> well, just because you can take so many books on holiday. I read yep. so much and 
I don't think I'm as obsessed. I see, you know, bookstagrammers and people, you know, other authors, it just, everyone loves the copies of their books. And I just, I don't know, I'm just not wedded to the thing. And I just like to get clutter out of my house. So I still look at my shelves downstairs and want to get, <laughs> get rid of all my books. <laughs> I can't because um, the only thing is, uh, I'll keep all the copies of my books and my foreign editions, then I'll look like a massive narcissist. <laughs> also, this is an interesting one. So my husband can only see out one eye and he finds it much easier to read from a rebook, from an e-book, oh, um, as we share you know, an account. So you know, there's there's practical reasons why it's that's another it's, string to its bow. I hadn't even known that. Another, I mean, that's <laughs> just fantastic. Because this thing about reading in bed at an angle, I, I don't know exactly, but it's oh, easier to read in bed than ebook. Apparently. It's definitely much oh. easier to read in bed with an ebook. I agree for with sure. That. Yeah, yeah. 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 Also, especially if, if if you're Marco and you you hate any possible crease on I the do, spine of a yeah. book, <laughs> you just kind of open it like that and you just peer down the line of the words and try and. I just like my shelves to look like new books, Derek, that's all. It just takes me years to read one book, that's all. Well, I always, I think I knew from the moment we started chatting with Caroline that she was a really smart, intelligent woman. And I think that was, I was proven, proven right, basically, when she sided with myself in the ebook. Yeah, for, for, just... if this is your first episode, then uh, you won't know that uh, we ask every guest that real book ebook question, and the I think it's fair to say the share, the majority share by some way is in favour of real books, Tarek. I think it's me and Caroline now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many reasons why ebooks are just the best way to read a book, Marco. Going holiday, reading in bed. I mean, I do, I do agree. Like, I'm not, compl- I'm not anti ebook. I just, well, I like a real. To, it's one. I'm afraid of this. this current you have to pick a side. You have to be one or the other. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, fair <laughs> you enough. Can't like both. Exactly. That's not allowed. Um, uh, I, I thought that was a really interesting chat with Caroline, though. I mean, what she was saying about, um, you know, having to outrun your own fear really uh, when you're writing, I think is is something that I. As, as I said in the podcast, you know, it's something that I sometimes struggle with. You can kind of get bogged down in the little details when you're writing yeah. and try and sort of make that little section that you're writing perfect. And that can, and you know, if you don't succeed at that moment, then that can cause doubt about the whole thing that you're trying totally. to write. Yeah. You are better just trying to like push through everything. And at the end, you've got something written. You've got something there that you can then improve on. Yeah, in for that me, sense. it it's the the writing is all in the re, rewriting yeah for sure mm-hmm. it's it, the hardest part is absolutely getting that first bit down on paper and and uh, like a few folk have said now it is that you know almost expecting that feeling of this is just crap mm-hmm. you know that's going to be there you know you're going to feel that but that's a thing to expect and and to almost welcome and then you, you know because you know if you push past that you'll be you'll be fine and mm-hmm. it is just pushing past that definitely um so thanks very much to Caroline for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate her taking the time to do that. And as I said at the start, all the fun of the fair is just out and you can get that now from your local bookshop or order it online. It will put a link to a place that you can buy it online in the podcast description. And we've got another great guest next week. We do indeed. Next week we are chatting with Mr. M.J. Arledge, who is uh, an author of various crime novels starring Helen Grace. And he's also had a successful run in TV. He wrote for EastEnders, Monarch of the Glen, Silent Witness. Um, you know, he's had a really quite a varied uh, yeah. writing career. And it was really interesting speaking to him about 
you know the differences between right working in that TV industry and and, mm-hmm. and um, you know working as an author and I think what he brought from his time in the TV industry into his writing for himself was really interesting and it sounds like in TV you need to be quite forthright and 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 yep. sort of be sure about your ideas and have pitch a hard them skin. yeah exactly yeah. and have a very hard skin and i think that definitely helps as an author as well so we chat to him about all of that um, and it's a really uh, interesting but also fun episode he, he was really good fun to chat to yeah, as well it's, it's it's a really good laugh and he's he's definitely worded some pretty high profile yeah, stuff and it's it's interesting to see the behind the scenes of how how that's all kind of made, which is which is excellent. Yeah, so um, uh, please do tune in for that one. And uh, before we go, um, if you enjoyed the episode or have enjoyed past episodes, uh, please do take time to give us a, a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you listen to. Uh, that really helps us uh, stay in the charts, and which in turn helps us continue to get great guests. If you want to hear from Aaron Sorkin as badly as we want to meet Aaron Sorkin, then we need to get your five-star yeah. reviews. And of course, if you want to get in touch, you can always send uh, an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk or a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at right underscore gear. But otherwise, uh, have a great week and we'll see you next episode. See you later. 